Yes. Christoph, would you say that America is or ever was uh, a Christian nation? I would say that it is not and has never been. The following persons shall be disqualified for office. Any person who shall deny the being of Almighty God. Amen. Even though we know that many of our elected officials currently would not meet that standard, uh, you know, hashtag Bernie Sanders and guys like that. Who, who... I, I think that by God's grace, eventually, um, I believe that it's possible that we would get to a point where we'd say, wait a second, they're killing babies in California. Send in the National Guard. Hey guys, it's Keith and welcome back to Conversations with a Calvinist. Today I am excited to have with me a couple of men who are going to be talking about the subject of Christian nationalism. Now this subject, as many of you know, has been blowing up on social media lately. I've seen videos come out from all different types of perspectives and people holding and saying that we have to believe in Christian nationalism and some people saying that Christian nationalism is bad and no good and something that we should shy away from. So I have two friends that I'm bringing onto the show with me today who are going to be sharing two different perspectives on the subject of Christian nationalism. And I also have a friend of the show who most of you will already know, and that's Matthew Henson, my not yet Calvinist friend. And he's going to be helping me moderate the conversation and uh, asking some additional questions. So let me introduce the men that I have today for the show. First, I want to introduce someone who many of you may already know. This is Joel Webin. Joel Webin is the president of Right Response Ministries, and he is the senior pastor at Covenant Bible, or, yeah, am I right? Covenant Bible Church. Uh, and we want to thank you for being a part today of Conversations with the Calvinist. Yes, sir. Thanks for inviting me. Yes, sir. Absolutely. And as I say many times, you look super serious in that very cool wingback chair. Uh, not everybody uh, is able to have such a cool looking background, but we're very... <laughs> I, 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 Presbyterians always have the nice stuff. And so I'm trying to represent the Baptists and say, we don't have to be bumpkins all the time. We can, we can step it up a notch. Absolutely. Well, you've you've stepped it up with that <laughs> with that chair alone. Now, I do have to ask, is that a green screen or is that really a room in your house? That's a room in my house. Yeah, it's real. Dude. I got so there's a there's a Christian guy, solid guy, um, and he and he's Presbyterian. But uh, he came in and he's a construction guy, and so he came in. And he built uh, he built the wood walls, and I was like, think RC Sproul, and he. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Well, uh, you're going to be taking the position, Joel, of the positive position, defending Christian nationalism. And on the other side, we have an author uh, who whose name is Christoph Brill. Christoph, thank you for being with me today. I appreciate it. Yes, thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. Yes, sir. And you are an author who focuses on ethics, political philosophy, and theology, and your publications include Actionable Justice, 
a manifesto for American conservatives, and why Christians should oppose Christian nationalism. And that last one is the one that has uh, has brought us all together today, because you were the first one to reach out to me. You sent me a copy of your book. Matthew and I both have, uh, have looked at it, have read it, and uh, that's what sort of sparked the idea to have this conversation, because you wanted to talk about the book, and I said, well, I'd love to have you on, have you on the show, but I also knew Joel from from Twitter, and I said, let's have a, a point and counterpoint conversation where both of you can share differing views. Because uh, even though you have never spoken to Joel before today, I imagine your views are going to be quite a bit different. And so we're going to try to hear both of you and hear your positions. And um, thankfully, you did send us a copy of the book, and I and I shared it with Joel. Joel, did you get a chance to look at Christoph's book? Yeah, I read it. Okay, all right. So, so he's coming in at least familiar with uh, your information, Christoph. And before we get started, I, I did talk to to Joel a little bit about his position. What, what, where, what do you do ministry wise outside of writing and things like that? What are your, what, what's your, uh, your role right now? Um, well, I, I don't have any particular uh, role in the church. I'm not an elder or anything. However, I do write with the approval of the elders of my church. Okay. So it's not as if I'm doing this by myself without any supervision. Sure. And you are in a Reformed Baptist church? Indeed. Okay. So the only person in this whole group who is not a Calvinist, Matthew. <laughs> yep. <laughs> see, see, we're still working on you. We're That's going to keep happening. You're contractually yeah. <laughs> obligated, the not yet Calvinist friend. That's okay. That's right. You're my not yet Calvinist friend. And every, every time we get together, me. And for those, again, who don't know Matthew, again, Matthew has been a moderator in multiple debates, including a debate I did and a debate that was done with Dr. James White here in Jacksonville, Florida. So he has experience in moderation debate and in uh, studying legal uh, issues. He has done reports in our, uh, in our podcast before about the Supreme Court. So he is going to be coming at this, asking some questions uh, that are going to hopefully be pointed and, and important when we get to that side. So what we're going to do, this is, uh, let me explain to the audience, this is not a formal debate. This is a conversation, but both sides uh, do have differing positions. So we want to give each side the opportunity to share their position, explain what they mean when they say Christian nationalism, and explain why they are either for it and on, on behalf of Joel or against it on behalf of Christoph. And in that opening interaction, being able to both give their positions, we're going to build from there a conversation, allowing them to ask each other questions and allowing Matthew and I to also engage uh, both of them with questions. So as is often the case in a, even though this isn't a formal debate, in a, in a situation where there's a positive and negative, it's often best to let the positive go first. So Joel, we're going to give you the first time to go and uh, you can have as much time as you like, but you know, uh, obviously uh, we do want to try to keep this within 90 minutes or so. So uh, take, you know, take a few minutes, explain to us what you mean by Christian nationalism and why it is that you would support that term and uh, uh, you know, give us your your position if you would. Okay, 
Thanks. Uh, I'll go ahead by just starting um, with the statement on Christian nationalism and the gospel. I'll read a little bit of that. The uh, primary authors were Dusty Devers. Dusty Devers is a Reformed Baptist guy. He's an abolitionist. He's done a lot of wonderful work uh, working to abolish abortion. He's a local pastor in Oklahoma and a friend of mine. Also, James Silberman was intricately involved in uh, the original draft and those things. And then guys like William Wolfe, myself, Jeff Wright, Corey Anderson, we came in in the 11th hour and and still got, you know, the same pay. <laughs> so anyways, we put this out and it caused a little bit of a stir. And part of the reason it caused a stir was because of the arguments. But part of it is because of uh, 20, 2023 font gate, uh, which will go down in infamous history where we uh, apparently took the same font as G3 and it was the same font and it wasn't my decision. And I wish it didn't happen, but it also was kind of funny and G3 in the, in the final analysis, they were charitable about it. So all that being said, I'm going to read from the beginning of that statement. Some of your listeners may have already checked it out. Some of them may not have. But uh, if you open it up, the very first thing that it says is a uh, definition. So Christian nationalism is a set of governing principles rooted in scriptures, teaching that Christ rules as supreme Lord and King of all creation, who has ordained civil magistrates with delegated authority to be under him over the people to order their ordained jurisdiction by punishing evil and promoting good for his own glory and the common good of the nation. And there's a lot of scripture references. And then the next thing that we uh, say is introduction. Christian nationalism is primarily concerned with the righteous rule of civil authorities, not spiritual matters pertaining to salvation. The desire for a Christian nation is not a distraction from the gospel, but rather an effort to faithfully apply all of Scripture to all of life, including the public square. As such, Christian nationalism is not just for civil authorities, just as submitting to Christ's lordship is not just for civil authorities, but for all people. After the Lord Jesus declared his sovereign authority in Matthew 28, verse 18, he gave the great commission and commanded his followers, empowered by his everlasting presence, to make disciples of all nations and to baptize them and teach them to obey all that I have commanded. That's Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Our Lord did not exclude all civil authorities from the command to submit to his authority and display allegiance to him. We recognize the existence of other definitions of Christian nationalism, because Lord knows um, not everybody agrees, and that's part of the confusion. Going on now, uh, we certainly do not endorse every iteration of Christian nationalism and explicitly repudiate some such forms, as will be evident in our affirmations and denials. And what follows is 20 different affirmations and 20 denials. Uh, lastly, uh, we said that, you know, if you agree with the document, you can check it out online. I believe the website, and you could sign it, I think it uh, leaves space for guys who are willing to sign it. Uh, the final draft is something that we'll work on in the future. Uh, but I believe the website is um, Christian statement on Christian nationalism.com statement on Christian nationalism.com. So anyway, so that's just the uh, uh, definition and introduction to the statement. And then what follows are affirmations and denials. And we can get into some of those later on, but I'll, I'll just stop reading. And the last thing that I'll say is, um, and I know that you've addressed this Christoph, and it'll be an interesting thing for us to get to. Um, but I think some of the guys myself, at least I'll speak for myself. 
um, some of the guys who have said, all right, you know, it's a pejorative Christian, right? Little Christ, that was a, a first century pejorative, uh, but it stuck. You know, guys were willing to wear it, followers of the way. And then you got Puritan, that was a pejorative, but people are like, well, I guess I kind of am a Puritan. And Christian nationalism has been a pejorative from, you know, the woke progressive left to say these are radical Christian nationalists. It's funny, James Lindsay, um, initially, he even had in his Twitter handle for a while that, you know, I'm a Christian nationalist, you know, because everybody knew that it was this pejorative from the woke left that hates Christ, you know, saying, uh, you guys are extremists. But then little by little, some guys, myself included, said, well, I, I guess there is a truth in that. Uh, I don't mean it the way you're saying it, but I am a nationalist and I am a Christian. And so we decided to start working with the term because we felt like, well, we can reject the term, but if we reject the term, it's still going to be placed on us anyway. So the question at the end of the day is uh, not always, you know, what is the ideal scenario and what I would pick for myself, um, but, but what box, what definitions, what terminology can I work with? And I think you can work with Puritan, you can work with Christian, and I think you can work with Christian nationalism. And that's not to say there's no baggage with the ism in the nation part, um, because there is, but I think it's something that you can work with. So that, that at the end of the day is where a lot of guys have landed for myself personally. I, I, you know, would disagree with some guys like Stephen Wolf. I appreciate Stephen Wolf. Um, I think he's got a lot of unfair criticism. Uh, one of my criticisms that I think would be fair is that, you know, he's a Thomist. Uh, so he's going to place a lot of emphasis on Thomas Aquinas, whereas I, I would be much more presuppositional and follow um, Cornelius Van Til. He's also all millennial and I would be post-millennial. So there's different camps within the CN big tent group. Um, there's the Doug Wilson camp. I would be more in that camp. Um, I'm not Presbyterian. I do hold to a credo Baptist position, but I am post-millennial and I am a general equity theonomist. And so there's a lot of guys in, in that camp that would say, okay, yeah, we're, we're in the CN, you know, Christian nationalist orbit. And then there's other guys that place a bigger emphasis on natural law um, and are not necessarily post-millennial in their eschatology. So that gives you a little bit of, you know, I'll stop there, but that's my opening statement. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And there was certainly a lot in that. And uh, give us one more time the website for the uh, document. If somebody wanted to pause right here and just go read that again so that they hear that again. What was that website again? I believe it's Christian uh, or www.statementonchristiannationalism.com. Statement on Christian nationalism. If that doesn't work, add the word the, the statement on Christian nationalism. Okay, no the. Yep. So statementonchristiannationalism.com. Okay, wonderful. Thank you, Joel, for that uh, opening statement, letting us know what you mean. And I also want to say this, you, I, as I was preparing for this, I watched a video of you saying, uh, if, I, if I remember correctly, it was something to the effect of um, uh, Christian nationalists uh, are, the, are the ones that the are hated by the other side or, or, or something. It was, a, it was a, just a short little 10 minute video. It looked like you were preaching at your church, but it was saying nobody hates the people who are writing papers on the, um, the, the hypostatic union. Nobody, nobody's giving any trouble to the, to the ivory tower theologians. It's the Christian nationalists who are wearing the mega hats and those things. I thought that was right. an interesting point that you made that, that this issue is one that the other side does see as, as the battle battleground. So the where threat. we stand on where, yeah, it's the threat and where we stand on this is, is probably going to place us somewhere in the view of the, in the sights of the uh, of the opponents of the gospel, for sure. So right. I thought that was an interesting, interesting uh, point. I've never been accused of being winsome, 
Um, so I, you know, if if those who hate Christ see me as threatening, I feel pretty good about that. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right, Mr. Christoph, I'm going to now turn over to you. You'll have, uh, again, as much time as you'd like. We don't. We, this isn't a time debate or anything like that, so you have plenty of time to share your position. Don't have time to read your whole book, unfortunately. <laughs> but, but for those who do want to read it, it is available on Amazon. It is called... Uh, a remind me of the title. I just read it a minute ago, but remind. Yeah, why Christians should oppose Christian nationalism. Okay, and they can get that on Amazon, and it's and it's a relatively short read. Somebody who's a good reader should be able to read it uh, in one sitting. And uh, I'm going to turn it over to you and give you the opportunity to uh, to to come out and share with us why you would oppose and Christian nationalism and what the heart of your book was. Okay. Anyway, I wrote the book, Why Christians Should Oppose Christian Nationalism, and it is, of course, discussing this from a perspective looking at exegesis, looking at uh, what does the Bible say about various related issues. But before uh, you can get into the exegesis on this matter, it's, of course, necessary to define what Christian nationalism is. And the way I define it is that I obviously would say that we all know what a Christian is. So, then we have to understand what nationalism is. Nationalism is an ideology that focuses on the identification of the nation with the state so that there is a popular sovereignty. The people, uh, which is the nation, are considered uh, equivalent in, in their uh, sovereignty together with the state. And so there's a merger of nation and state based on national identity. Now, I would argue that there is a biblical distinction between nation and kingdom or nation and state. Uh, this is seen in the Hebrew Old Testament where there is the, the goy and the malacha. And in the New Testament where you see uh, ethnos and basilia. And of course, this also exists in modern political philosophy, uh, where people can talk about nations or people groups and then also states. Now, the problem with merging these two things, the, the nation and the state, in how they operate is that in, in one case, we need to understand that there is already a type of nation that is talked about biblically, and that is the holy nation that is mentioned in Exodus 19 and 1 Peter 2, which, of course, uh, is understood to refer to both ancient Israel and to the church in the latter passage. So there's an understanding that the church, in some ways, is a fulfillment of the promise of the holy nation. And so there is a special holiness that applies to this nation, which is Christian. And how does one become a member of a nation? Well, Typically, it would be by being born into one. And in the case of this holy nation, uh, or the, the true Christian nation, as I might call it, it is by being uh, born into it, by being born again. As, uh, uh, as uh, Reverend Webin has said in a recent uh, video, all members of a new covenant are born again. And that is something that I think should influence our understanding of what we believe the uh, Christian nation can be identified as. Now, the problem with popular sovereignty in understanding nations is that, uh, uh, as Abraham Kuyper himself has said, this, is, this goes against the sovereignty of God. And this was in one of his uh, 
1898 lectures on Calvinism at Princeton University, where he argued that the sovereignty of God comes uh, and influences how we should understand all other things, and that the concept of popular sovereignty was a competing theory to the Calvinist understanding of God's sovereignty. Um, and this is, of course, also brought out in his other politics, as he was the founder of the anti-revolutionary party, referring to the French Revolution and other European revolutions, which were led by nationalists who sought to put the people in power, uh, as opposed to the more traditional perspective uh, seen by earlier theologians that view power as coming from God and being invested in the sovereign who then has authority from God rather than uh, in, as intrinsically taken uh, from the people. Now, another issue with identifying this holy nation with the more secular understanding of nationalism is the idea of merging uh, the holy and the common because God has ruled over all things, but he has not consecrated all things. Likewise, uh, we have to understand that we should not identify things that are opposed to Christ with Christ. That is another thing that I think is very important. And then there's also some other philosophical uh, issues relating to understandings of identitarianism as opposed to relationalism, where the identity of nations is, in my view, scripturally less emphasized than the relationship that God has with nations. So those are just some of the ideas that I put forward in my book um, on Christian nationalism. Okay, so uh, I, I have to ask this, and this is, I think, an important thing that I, 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 I want to hear both of you answer this, because I appreciate you both for your opening statements, but I, I, I want to simplify this for the listener, and I'm, I'm trying to pretend I'm the audience, and that's what Matthew and I are here to do, not only moderate, but also to, to be the audience. And if someone were to say, um, <clears throat> and I'll let Joel go first, since uh, you just spoke, uh, Christoph. Joel, if I were to say, Give me your your understanding of what Christian nationalism is in a in a, in a in just a short sentence or two. Just what is Christian nationalism that you're defending? Yeah, Christian nationalism is the idea that nations, not just ours, not just America, but that all the nations are Christ's inheritance, that they uh, should explicitly declare an allegiance to Christ and His Lordship as demonstrated through the Scripture, that they should. Um, they should execute their powers. They should execute their duties, their responsibilities, Christianly. So, and I want to go to Christoph quickly, but I do have to, I want to make sure I understand. So, the, so you're not a, 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 a <laughs> you're not endorsing necessarily a Christian Americanism because <laughs> of what you just said. You said it's all nations, not just the, the upholding of the Christian flag and the American flag and making them one. No, I'm post-millennial. We're going to take the whole thing. Okay, okay. All right. All I, I, the, okay. All right, so Christoph, based upon uh, uh, Joel's definition, can you give me a, a – a, is, is your working definition the same as his, or do you have a, a, a different definition for Christian nationalism? Because as I was listening to you, I was trying to just clarify this for the audience because I want to make sure we're not talking past one another. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a, a brief uh, couple sentence definition. 
Um, Christian nationalism may be defined as the position that there is a Christian nation that ought to operate as a sovereign nation state while fully affirming its Christian faith and identity. This definition emphasizes the centrality of Christianity while preserving the analogical similarity with other ideologies that are properly called nationalist, like Irish nationalism, French nationalism, Kurdish nationalism, etc. Okay, so it seems like it, in that sense, it would almost seem like there we have two working definitions. It would seem like there's there, there's not exactly an agreement on what we mean by Christian nationalism. And and I want to give you what I think, and maybe if Matthew wants to jump in here, based on what I've heard, it sounds like. Uh, Joel is saying that uh, Christ is the head of all nations, therefore all nations should be uh, uh, submissive to his lordship. Um, am I being fair to that, Joel? Is that is that yep. fa fair to yep. Yes, sir. And, and um, CA or Christoph, you're saying that uh, that's that Christian nationalism is more of a form of of secular identification that we are a nation that is a christian nation and you're saying that we can't do that um I'm, I'm not saying that specifically i would rather say that christian nationalism um if we are to use the term nationalism ought to mean the same thing as what other nationalist movements use the term for uh which means that a group which is the nation uh has its own sovereignty in a popular sense. Okay, so, explain that. Explain that. Or go ahead, Joel. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was just gonna say. Um, so, are you a globalist? Like, I, I don't. I don't understand. What What would be your objection to the statement you just made? Well, my how much objection, is George Soros paying you? Is my question. Yeah. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm not a globalist. I, uh, my, my objection is that. Popular sovereignty, I view that as something that is unbiblical and something that is contrary to a number of principles of the faith, uh, particularly... Define, real uh, quick, can you define that for me? Uh, I really just... I, 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 popular sovereignty, to define that. Popular sovereignty is the idea that in a state or in a country, the people are the sovereigns. Okay. All right. So, like in America, where we would say "We the people hold these truths," you know, that, that's what you're for, referring to the the, uh, the consent of the governed kind of thing. Is that is that? Uh, no, not necessarily. This is this is more of a uh, more philosophical idea, um, because historically, under what people would call classical republicanism, uh, in a pre-modern sense, there existed republics that operated with the consent of the governed, but that did not necessarily believe in things like uh, popular sovereignty. Okay. I'm still not certain that I understand popular sovereignty. I'm trying my best. I'm really not trying to make it more difficult than it has to be. I just want to make sure when you say popular sovereignty, so the population, the people have the power. Yes. Yes. Okay. To elect. They, they, they have the power outside of the existence of a hierarchy from God to the ruler to the people. And because so no ever, elected officials, is that what you're saying? Just the people like mob rule, like a raw democracy, no, no representation? No, it, it can be structured in a number of different ways. For example, there's a dictatorships that affirm popular sovereignty. Uh, for example, the People's Republic of China, 
they they believe in popular sovereignty, but they have a communist dictatorship. Okay. Yeah, that it just it, that I'm having I'm I'm having a little bit of a difficulty sort well, of understanding I, I the think, philosophy. I think the problem here is that it's something that exists only in philosophy and not in the real world, which is mm -hmm. also one of my other objections to it. That it's not something that's actually realistic. I think it would also help to look at origin and source. So if there was a an autocratic, wicked, evil tyrant, you know, in charge of a particular country, let's call him, I don't know, Stalin, for instance, um, and you and you could magically pull all of the people of the Soviet Union in, say, you know, 1939 um, and say, do you approve of this man leading the country, even though he's evil, wicked, mean, and nasty. Are you, if he got a bare majority, 50% plus one, are you saying that, that, that it's an error to say he's a legitimate ruler because of that? Or is it, how, how does the interplay between consent of the governed and the legitimacy of the ruler come about? Because if, if, it's, if it's a majority of the people don't approve of the ruler and you're saying, well, biblically, that doesn't matter. He's the ruler. I guess the question would be, how did the ruler get there? Because if it's under a system where the people selected him, then, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a where is his authority drawn from? And if he, let's say he coos his way in there in an illegitimate show of force and topples the previous regime, um, just because he sits in the seat and signs his name to whatever governing document it is, or in the case of old monarchies, he wears the crown, does that then immediately demand allegiance if his if his usurpation was illegal, so to speak, based upon the laws of the country. So where's, I guess, where's the hierarchy of authority come from in a nation that way? Well, ultimately, it comes from God. Mm -hmm. And then, as we understand it in, in Romans 13, it goes to mm -hmm. the people in charge. Now, in, in the context of Romans 13, that's the Roman state and its subordinate entities. So that's a mixture of both monarchies and republics. Uh, mm -hmm. So you could say that in, in that context, there's a possibility for things like constitutionality to exist in how governments operate. Mm -hmm. And so if there is a law that says that uh, a ruler can only come into charge in a, in a certain way, then that is something that must be obeyed, of course. Mm -hmm. um, however, if such things do not exist then you end up in a situation where the only way to uh, usurp the, the ruler's authority would be in a way that I would say uh, is ungodly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when, when Paul, for instance, appeals to his rights as a Roman citizen, he says, you can't, you can't do this to me because I'm a Roman citizen. And, and they're extremely nervous after that because they're like, oh, no, I didn't know we were dealing with a Roman citizen. They have a fear of the law that has been passed based upon the representative structure that they had. But if they had an edict from Caesar that said, I know what the law says, but I don't care, you know, lash him 39 times, would, would because he's the ruler, but he's acting in a manner inconsistent with the constitution, so to speak, of the nation, would he have been right in doing so? That's kind of what I'm trying to tease out. Who has the, who has the ultimate authority? If it is a ruler and he topples this ruler then and he has done so illegitimately does he then just because he's a ruler does romans 13 instantly kick in to the new guy who toppled the old guy well i, I would say 
the it would have to be up to those who are in charge mm -hmm. because it is not up to us to decide uh in, at, at least not intrinsically now we could mm -hmm. get a right to decide by the law but we don't have an automatic ability to decide who is in charge of us just like we don't have a right to elect which god uh is god okay how do okay, you, wanna... how do you how do you feel about the war for independence america um I actually have, I'm a critic of the Declaration of Independence. Um, I'm not I a critic of America's that. sovereignty. Um, I think that the Treaty of Paris resolved the issues related to that. But I am a critic of the Declaration of Independence. So you didn't uh, didn't fire our fireworks last night then, huh? <laughs> uh, I, actually, I, I did. Oh, okay. All yeah. right. I, I don't hate this country. <laughs> let me, let me no, 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 no. Nobody's accusing no, you of being I, a, a... I just have a, a specific historical critique. Okay. So with that being said, I want to ask you a question. You you, you sat down in front of your computer, and you. I'm, ta I'm speaking to you, Christoph. You sat down in front of your computer. You decided to write a book. And in your book, you, you made some defining things. In the first, uh, first portion of the book, you talked about... I'm not saying this is, I'm not saying against the economy or a different thing. You, you kind of, you, you really sort of narrowed down Christian nationalism and, and specifically to a certain thing. But what made you write the book? What, what is your concern with someone like Joel? And, and I'm not making this personal. I'm just saying, when I say someone like Joel, I'm not saying like a, you know, you know that, that that he's the archetypal you know Christian nationalist. But when, when someone like Joel says, uh, Christ is king, all governments should submit to him, and 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 when they don't do so, the people have a, the 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 responsibility. And, I, and and correct me if I'm wrong, Joe. You would say you would say especially the church has a responsibility to call the government to repentance, right? Because they have a responsibility yes. to. Okay, I just want to make sure I'm again. If I say anything wrong, correct me because I I, I want to represent both of your sides as best as I can. So so Christoph, where where would you say he's in error, or do you think that that in and of itself is 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 a problem. Um, as you, you have uh, read in the book, I don't actually say that everybody who uh, calls himself a Christian nationalist uh, falls into the errors of uh, the nationalist ideology. So I think that saying that Christ is king and ruler over everything, I think that that is something that is very agreeable uh, to me. I also agree with the idea that the church uh, should have... Uh, should be calling people to repentance, that Christians should be vocal on political issues, especially when they concern uh, virtues. I think that that is actually very important and good. Um, my objection, therefore, for people that don't actually hold to ideas like popular sovereignty is that it could be misleading to people that assume those things because all sorts of other types of nationalism exist that do affirm those things. So I think it's important to respect the terminology um, that people are using. So on a philosophical level, there may be not a, a lot of differences in what you are saying people should do, but rather you think that the title is problematic by calling someone a Christian nationalist. That's a, that's a wrong term. I, yes, sir. I think I can, I can find some disagreement, you know, because oh, I feel like, Keith, you're sitting there, you're like, Hey, oh, do we even have a debate here? So if, <laughs> if you'd like a debate, I think I could get, I think I could pick a fight. 
if, if you oh, oh, well, 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 I definitely want to get there. I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just trying to make sure we are rightly defining our terms. I, I know there's things we're going to disagree on, and probably things that all four of us may have different views on. But, but particularly, you two gentlemen are the ones who've who've graciously come in today. So I definitely want to hear your points first. So, so Joel, let's let's do that then. Let's talk about the things where you think there would be legitimate differences between you and and Christoph. Great. So it sounds like, Christoph, you affirm uh, Christ being head of all things. Uh, I remember, you know, in 2020 with COVID and everything, MacArthur came out with his uh, famous article that, you know, Christ, not Caesar, is head of the church. And I remember saying to myself, yes and amen. And uh, I wish you'd go just a little bit further and say that Christ, not Caesar, is head of the church. Also, Christ, not Caesar, is head of the state. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Um, that is to the benefit of the church. So what I would say is, you know, theologically, Christ is uniquely head of the church. He is not exclusively head of the church. Uniquely head of the church in the sense that the church is the only entity for which Christ died. It's the only eternally redeemed people um, in, in that sense. We could say it's the only eternally uh, uh, saved nation, to use the term nation. Uh, but Christ is head over the public square. He's head over governments. He's head, head over states and all those kinds of things. So my position is I'm, I'm simply trying to say Christ is head over everything, and, um, and Caesar has a law that he has to follow. And Romans 13 is just as much uh, written to Caesar and how Caesar should behave as it is to the people underneath Caesar's, um, underneath his uh, earthly authority. And so all that being said, I think the place, it sounds like there's maybe a lot of agreement there. I think the place where we might not agree um, would be in terms of, now I'm not going to get nitpicky with the definitions of nationalism. If you want to, you know, define some more things there and, and maybe just do, you know, ask me 20 questions like do you affirm that one or deny it. Do you affirm that one? And we could go back and forth with, with definitions of nationalism, but here's, here's the heart of what I mean when I say nationalism. And I know this is what William Wolf and guys like John Harris and guys, this is what we would mean. We would say that, uh, everything I've already said, Christ is Lord. He's, he's King of all Kings. But beyond that, and nations have an explicit allegiance to Christ and not an ever-evolving standard of man, but a transcendent universal standard that comes from the Bible. So all that. Beyond that, though, um, the other part, I think a part of the nationalism piece, uh, not all the definitions that you threw out, but one that I will abide by, and I'll say, yeah, I agree with that, um, is that nations are, that it's permissible by God uh, for nations to, um, to prioritize in their order of loves, so thinking of St. Augustine, uh, the order of loves, order of affections, that nations, it is uh, morally permissible, and I would go so far as to say even commanded uh, that a nation prioritize it, the, the well-being that are not just um, eternal, salvific, eternal things, but the temporal, earthly good of its citizens above other citizens of other nations. So that doesn't mean that that nation needs to, to bust out an Adolf Hitler Third Reich kind of thing and try to take over the world. But it does mean that um, there is a way of nations being suicidal. And I believe that's part of my concern. That's part of the, the, the reason why I've been willing to wear the moniker, you know, put on the label Christian nationalist is because I think the West, I think France right now would be an example of this, um, I think that a lot of Western civilization that has been historically Christian 
in some shape, form, or fashion, uh, coming off of, of, you know, 500 years of Christendom, a thousand, arguably going back to King Alfred and biblical case law and these kinds of things, the West, America, European countries, the whole nine yards that, um, we have become in recent, it's a post-war mentality. It's very recent, but this post-war mentality, we have become so sensitive and I believe overly sensitive to the charge of of selfishness to the charge of supremacy to the charge of of the the terrible r word racist um that that we basically have gotten to a point where we're just going to implode we're, we're suicidal the west is suicidal and um and so what i want to say is uh, i love every nation in the world. I want to see them all come to uh, the saving knowledge of Christ as Lord. I want to see them organize themselves in a civil sense, um, organize themselves rightly under the word of God and be Christian nations. And I love those Christians and nations that are not Christian nations, but the, the people themselves are individual Christians in the true regenerate eternal sense. I love Christians in China, Christians in Uganda, Christians here, Christians there. Um, but I am going to prioritize America above other nations. And I think it's not only biblically permissible, but it's actually mandated that the civil magistrates in a given nation, that they prioritize their efforts in triaging their efforts, their love, their devotion to their citizens and, uh, and, and, not, um, and not strangers on the other side of the planet. Great. Uh, Christoph, do you want to respond? I have a, I have a question, but I'm yes. going to let you go first. Yes, please respond. Yes. Well, my, my position, of course, is uh, a position that makes a hard distinction between nations and states. So I don't necessarily view things like France and the French people to be necessarily the same. Uh, so in, in that sense, I view it as something where I do agree with the idea that people ought to love within their community and to clean their own house before they uh, go out and go into other places. So I, I do think that that is a good approach that people can take. Um, however, I also think that it is appropriate and allowed that empires can arise. Uh, that is to say, uh, multi-national uh, uh, Things like, for example, the Persian Empire established by Cyrus uh, the Great and the Roman Empire and other empires throughout history. Uh, and I think that this is something that God allows, something that is not forbidden, um, that it is okay to conquer and it is also okay to uh, submit to the rulers that God has placed over you, even if they are from a different nation. Now, I'm not a globalist. I don't think that people have to care about everything that happens in every other country that they have to look after uh, everyone. Uh, so in, in that sense, I would say my objection to some of the nationalist sentiment is the idea that some people have that it is necessary uh, or uh, commanded to have nation states, that is to say, a nation that specifically has a state attached to it, because in many cases, this involves uh, the dismantling of various empires or the forcible invasion of other countries, as has occurred, uh, for example, in many post-colonial conflicts. Um, and 
in uh, various other things. Not, I'm not saying that all nationalists are like that. I'm not saying that all nationalists want to violently uh, separate or unite nations. However, I also am of the position that uh, looking at Romans 13, I think the status quo of political boundaries is something that uh, ought to be preferred um, unless it is uh, changing through a method that is uh, justifiable. Okay. Okay. With that in mind, I want to, uh, I want to ask, I'm going to ask Joel and then I'm going to ask you, uh, Christoph, because Joel said something and, and, and raised a question in my mind. Joel, do you believe that right now it would be appropriate to call the United States a Christian nation? Now, and I'm asking this only because you said a Christian nation and a non-Christian nation. So you were defining what I assume would be those that are and those that aren't. And so would you say currently you would define America as a Christian nation and tell us why? Yes, I would. Um, I would say that America is currently a Christian nation in the midst of apostatizing. So I would say that it is a Christian nation because of its founding. That's not to say that it is behaving as a Christian nation today. It's not. Um, we have essentially replaced not the Christian flag, but the American flag itself with the rainbow jihad flag. So, no, we're, we're not behaving like a Christian nation. Um, but I believe that, that we're experiencing judgment, and if there's no repentance, and that repentance can't just be a conservative political resurgence, but a distinctly Christian repentance and, and reformation, if we don't call upon Christ by name, if we don't turn from our sin, I think that judgment will only increase progressively, and I think it'll be even greater than other nations like China, for instance, um, because of our founding. I, I think that there will be a stricter judgment for, uh, for the West and for certain European nations, England would be an example, um, that, that it is, uh, it's a mockery, right? Where you, you see the coronation, uh, you know, King Charles, and it's distinctly Christian. That is their heritage, and that means something. It's not just pomp and circumstance. I believe that it means something, that there actually is a covenant, not the new covenant, that God establishes with unreformed Baptists. So I believe the new covenant is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. It's, it's established by God with individuals. Um, so not the new covenant, but I think that's part of the problem is that the Presbyterians, I say in a nutshell, the Presbyterians, I think they overstretch the new covenant to encompass everything. A, a Christian family, a Christian nation, a Christian school, a Christian, and I think the Baptists. The problem with the Baptists is we're, we're very in, intent on not overstretching the new covenant, which I appreciate, uh, but we pretend as though the new covenant is the only covenant there is. There are other covenants. I'm in a marriage covenant with my wife, but Jesus tells me that marriage is not eternal. Not marriage to my wife, marriage to him. So, so there won't be marriage in heaven, and yet I'm still in a covenant with my wife. And so then the question is, do I have a Christian marriage? Is that a Christian marriage covenant? And so, yes, I believe that nations can establish in a legitimate fashion a genuine Christian covenant with the Lord. Not a saving covenant, not the new covenant, but a, a earthly, temporal, national covenant with the Lord. And I believe that they will be blessed. And if they apostatize, as much of the West, including our nation, currently is, then there will actually be not only judgment, but a stricter judgment. That would be my answer. Okay, I want to come back to that because I have a follow-up, but I want to—I don't want to leave Christoph out of this or Matthew. And if you want to uh, jump in here with a question, Matthew, I—I I, I want to ask Christoph: Would you say 
that America is or ever was uh, a Christian nation? I would say that it is not and has never been. Now, of course, that does not mean that I don't think that there aren't American Christians or that there wasn't a Christian culture or that there wasn't a Christian majority possibly at some point. Um, I, I just have a different perspective on what it means to, for something to be Christian. I think a nation, uh, which is a group of people, can only be as Christian uh, as its members are Christian individually. And so the calling it Christian as a whole, in my view, I don't see that as something that I could do. Now, that being said, of course, there's also the perspective that uh, America wasn't originally a nation, as uh, George Washington and Alexander Hamilton called it an empire. That is to say, it was composed of several distinct lands that eventually, uh, throughout the uh, past few centuries, have now merged into what we now call a nation. Um, so there's this ethnogenesis going on. However, I don't really think that I could call something Christian unless it is, uh, uh, or, or specifically I could call a nation Christian unless it is born of Christ. That is to say, uh, born uh, of the spirit or born again. Uh, because nation, as an English term, it uh, refers to nativity, uh, which is birth. And how do we become Christians? Well, it is by being born again. Now, I think also it is questionable whether the founders of a country can, by themselves and without prophetic fiat, make a covenant, uh, a, a permanent national covenant with God. I also think that that is something that is questionable uh, to do outside of uh, the help of a prophet. Okay, that's that's an interesting point. I would ask, and that, and that it sort of goes to my question, Joel. And, and this is, you know, just thinking along the lines of what you said. You believe that America has a is in covenant with God, and, and now is in a an, an apostate position because of that covenant, right? Because that's where apostasy comes from. You're you're in a covenant and then you're you're abandoning the responsibilities of that covenant. When do you believe, Joel, that the covenant that that you believe that America is in, when do you believe it was established and upon what basis? Yeah, I just I think that that's a part of our founding. I think that we, you know, we see so George Washington, I, I know that there were many deists well, I don't know if many is fair. There were some deists, some uh, Unitarians. There were there were plenty of people who were not evangelical Christians. I think that George Washington was. Uh, I think that what you see with the Covenanters, with the Pilgrims, with the, uh, many of the founders is distinctly Christian language. Uh, you constant uh, thanksgiving to God, the Triune God, the Christian God, for His <clears throat> favorable providence and uh, being able to weather certain storms or make it through this winter or be, this happened or that happened. Um, and then uh, you see that as a lot of the motivation. There's uh, many individuals who are involved, and so not everybody has the same uh, incentives but a lot of the motivation, especially for the Puritans, was freedom of worship. It was to be able to worship as their conscience dictated, but as their conscience was ultimately shaped and bound by the word of God. It was to flee religious persecution in England. Um, and so 
I think just all throughout uh, the beginning of the United States of America, um, we just we see it drenched in uh, Christian motivations, uh, Christian orthodoxy and doctrines. Um, yeah, that's okay. my answer. Uh, great, wonderful. That and that's what what I was trying to get to. Okay, so how do you see that covenant come together? Because obviously, you know, you mentioned a marriage covenant. A marriage covenant, we can we can look to a specific date where vows are made, specific things. But you you would say it's more of an amalgamation over time. Maybe amalgamation, not the right word, but a, but a, but a process over time where where people were recognizing the authority of God in the founding of this nation, which we see even in the founding documents. Right. Yeah, not one particular day with one particular document, um, but I think multiple leaders uh, spread ac across um, multiple years in multiple documents and multiple decisions and multiple hearings and all these different things um, that again and again and again, the, the headline of the story is uh, that we are followers of Christ and that we're, we're doing this, this whole endeavor um, is for his glory and for his fame. Okay. Uh, what other nations, and I, I'm not going to ask you to give an exhaustive list, but if I were to say, okay, so you, you said earlier there were nations that are Christians, uh, nations and are the ones that aren't, and you're identifying America as, or the United States of America as one of the ones that are. What other nations would you say are Christian nations, and even if they're in apostasy now? England. I think England would be a good example. And that's uh, just, uh, that's an important clarification. Um I don't think that it requires that a nation from its origin um, starts off Christian um, because many of these nations, the gospel was brought to them. So the nation is already blown and going and, uh, and it's typically some form of paganism. It's, it's not worshiping Christ, um, but the gospel comes to that particular people in that particular land. And uh, by the sovereign power and work of the Holy Spirit, people are born again. They're converted to the gospel. Uh, they begin to plant churches. They begin to preach. And they begin to orient not just their families and their churches, but all of life, all of Christ for all of life, including um, their civil affairs in a Christianly manner. And I think that England certainly, uh, certainly would be an example of a nation that uh, has been distinctly Christian for a very long time and is currently apostatizing and maybe just a decade or so ahead of us in their apostasy whereas there are other nations um that if you look at their history have have never really been uh christian not at a national level that doesn't mean there aren't individual christian people within the nation um underground churches that doesn't mean missionaries haven't gone there that doesn't mean that um, no one has believed and there might even be a sizable population of christians um, but in a formal sense uh, you don't have the leadership of that nation. You don't have its documents. You don't have its laws. You don't have its leaders um, declaring uh, an explicit allegiance to Christ as the one true God. Okay. Um, Christoph, thinking about that that issue, the question of Christian nations, do you believe that you said you don't believe America counts as a Christian nation? I, I appreciate your argument on that. You said you don't believe they ever have been. Um, but do you believe there are any nations that are identifiable as Christian nations? Uh, well, as I have said before, my perspective on that is that it depends on people being born again and therefore being part of the church and the body of Christ. Um, I don't, I'm not, of course, I, I can't see into people's souls to know whether they are Christians or not. Uh, so I can't really 
tell 100% whether there is a nation uh, other than the holy nation, uh, which uh, I believe to be the sum totality of uh, all Christian nations, the, the holy nation uh, of Exodus 19 and 1 Peter 2, which I believe should be identified as being coterminous with the church rather than any particular earthly nation. Um, so because I can't tell whether uh, everybody in a particular society is saved, I will not say that any particular nation is Christian other than that one nation. So, so when the, um, the English monarchy, for instance, we just saw the, the changing over the, the, with the death of Queen Elizabeth and the, the uh, adopting of the new king, there, there was a lot of Christian language that was used in the coronation of the, the new king. Uh, I, I don't have it in front of me, so I can't give it to you verbatim, but certainly there were words he, he's referred to uh, through, through many Christian words uh, are used to identify his role, a defender of the faith, things like that. Right. Um, um, so, so Christoph, you would say that even though on a national level, and again, I'm not making an argument, I'm asking a question, on a national level, this that the, the England has at least at some point had in their national liturgy, and I know that may not even be the right term, but it is the, the national language of the people. They have said they uh, that, that the king represents Christ's authority in the world. He's defender of the faith. He's 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 meant to do that. Um, so you would say that doesn't that doesn't constitute any type of distinguishing of making that a Christian nation. Well, I would say that once again, I make a distinction between the nation and the state. So I would say that legal language is something that pertains to the government or the state rather than to the nation necessarily. Uh, of course, we know uh, defensor, uh, fide, defender of the faith comes, uh, is a title given to the king by the pope. Um, and I don't know if the pope has the authority to give such a title, or perhaps we do know, but... Um, <laughs> I see. Now, you, so, now you're, you're drawing us all into our, our uh, oppositions to Catholicism. I like it. <laughs> but anyway, go, <laughs> b beyond that, uh, not prejudicing the idea, I think that I, I do make a distinction between nation and state as such. I will not uh, affirm of one that which is true of the other because they are very different structurally. The nation is the people. And the state is the specific governing institutions of that rule over the people, uh, but are not necessarily identical to mm -hmm. the people. So, so, so would, go ahead, Matthew, please. Well, I was going to say I'm somewhat sympathetic to that because when we hear things like China did this or China did that, well, China, did, like that concept matters. Is it the Chinese Communist Party? Is it the the random you know rural rice farmer had some hand in this or that military operation? Probably not. So I, I am sympathetic to the fact that we need to be really clear on the difference between nation and state. Let me sort of poke at it from a different angle. Then, if it, and I like I said I read I read the book as well, um, and you take great pains to define your terms, and I appreciate that. Would you be opposed to Christian statism? And let me, because you're making a distinction between nation and state, and I appreciate that, but a state, a specific government that has a book of laws, 
And those laws, as best we can in modern society, uh, reflect God's standards of morality. So not just the easy ones like, you know, don't kill, don't rape, don't steal, that kind of thing. But pretty far down the line are, and I know this is a theonomy question, I know that's where we're going here, would Christian statism be a more appropriate label for something you would support or or no? And if if not that, then on what basis should law spring from? You know, when when the presuppositional kind of, it's not a joke, it is important when we say by what standard, that does matter. When someone who doesn't have uh, Christ says that's wrong, it is perfectly fair for us to say by what standard are you calling that wrong? So if if not Christian nationalism, because you're very concerned that nation means people, and I, I get that, what about Christian statism? Could we do that? And if not, why not? Well, in, in relation to the state, I would say that politicians should always be true to their religious uh, beliefs, which are, of course, founded upon, uh, th they are the foundation of the morals which they express in their policies. I think separating religion from politics, therefore, is wrong, because if you separate somebody's sense of ethics from the policies that they make, then that uh, really uh, messes things up in, in a sense, because it essentially forbids the type of thinking that actually leads to good laws or to actually understand which laws are good and which laws are not good. Now, that being said, I would say that I take the uh, a position similar to that of uh, Roger Williams, uh, the founder of Rhode Island, um, which I, I understand might be a bit controversial in some circles, uh, but I, I view it as the idea that you ought to uh, do unto others as you would have done unto you. So I, I try to design uh, political systems so that they can work both when Christians are a minority and when they are a majority, because I don't assume that the number of elect in each generation will be the same. It could go up, it could go down. Um, and it, even if you are a post-millennialist, that doesn't mean it's always uh, smooth sailing all the way to the end. Um, so I think it's better to create safeguards rather than create systems that through the uh, excessive positive uh, enforcement of all principles in the statutory law lead to a situation where if a heretic comes into power, uh, it will lead to a disadvantage to the church. So I think uh, I'm not in favor of neutrality, uh, but I am in favor of robust systems that allow the church to prosper both when they are in the majority and when they are in a minority. Um, and I don't think that uh, being hyper uh, theonomic is conducive to that. Well, that, that raises a question, though. You, you said something in that where, and, and um, I want to make sure I'm clarifying, you said that the state government should uh, base itself off its religious convictions. Did, did, am I, am I, did I hear you say that correctly? Did you say that? Yes. Okay. So what if the state government was, uh, was Muslim? Would we... Then it would be logical that they would do that. Okay. I don't think it's good, but I think it is logical. Okay. All right. So, 
I would assume that, and I don't want to speak for Joel, so I'm going to let him, I'm going to ask him the same question. We would not, uh, or, or I say we, I, I don't, I, I can honestly say I don't take a position on this. I've never spoken publicly on this issue. When I say we, I'm saying believers. I'm not saying we, like me and Joel are ganging up on Christoph or me and Christoph are getting anyone. I, I'm not, I, I, I can honestly say I, I, I'm, I'm trying to learn myself. But when I say we as believers, we, we would not be in favor of a of a Muslim government, uh, because a Muslim government would be in denial of the lordship of Christ. I, I, am I am I right? Wrong? And is that is that correct, uh, Joel? Is that what you're saying, or, or am I saying it just? Am I totally out to lunch on that? I don't want a Muslim nation. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so right, I mean, right now in Michigan, you have you have a town that now has five times a day public Islamic prayer calls. Um, and you can thank principal pluralism and classical liberalism for that reality. So, no, I want um, a distinctly Christian nation. I, I think that neutrality is a myth. I think that what we had was we had Christendom as one big ship slowly leaving port, going out to sea. And you got paganism like Islam and other forms and fashions coming into port. And because ships move slowly, when we're talking about not just individual people, but, but whole groups of people, nations of people, and you're talking about generations of time, as these ships are moving slowly, there was a period of time that felt long for us, but in God's purview was really just you know a blip on the map where these ships are just passing each other in the night overlapping and it gave the optic a momentary optic of neutrality um, but i think that was always a myth it was always a lie it'll be christ or it'll be chaos um, that you can have you can have christian nationalism or you can have tranny nationalism um i i think those are the options that's you know so here i stand <laughs> that okay. was sort of a among the twitter let's say uh object throwing we'll we'll call it that um that was sort of used as a pejorative i think against the christian nationalist position that i was reading a lot of it was this sort of simplistic like uh you know christian nationalism better than trans kids and it was mm. it was a pejorative mocking kind of thing to not to better simplify the issue good i'm sorry not better. Gooder, thank you gooder. thank you gooder <laughs> yeah he remembers about it you were in those more than i was but yeah christian nationalism gooder than trans and kids and it's like on the one hand, I, I I saw what it was. It was a it was a mockery where um, because the the idea was that anytime anything bad happened, um, the 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 claim was the Christian nationalists are sitting there saying if we were Christian if we implemented Christian nationalism, this would never have happened. And so that was sort of a retort um, in the other direction. But I think we would all agree that a system of law, at least respecting you know, what God has said, because we're all uh, sola scriptura advocates here, uh, we would say that there's not any other higher authority or descriptor of God or standard for human behavior higher than that. A system of law that respects that would be preferable, and we would like that. Um, I think it sounds to me very much like a terminology dispute, and that's why I asked the Christian statism question, because if a nation is people, um, then in a state is the government, the conflation of those two seems to be, Christoph, what you're what you're taking, or at least what our conversation has taken a lot of issue with. Is that is that conflation the error? Because I, I want to get yes. back to that Christian statism. I, is 
is a general theonomy, is that a good thing? That is a, a system of law, at least mostly structured on God's standards of behavior? Should, should people and Christians specifically advocate for that under the rules of their systems that they have? Well, I, I would say that uh, as a Baptist, having been, uh, our predecessors have been uh, persecuted even by fellow Christians in uh, a few centuries past. Mm. Sacralism, yeah. Yeah, I mm. am very much concerned about where exactly we ought to have that power. So let me be very clear. I, mm. I do categorically reject the idea of neutrality. I just think that we should throw such things into a different sphere rather than put everything at the highest level. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that, in my opinion, and of course this goes into more political theory than, than theology, um, it, it would be better for a lot of these issues to be managed on a community level rather than on a higher level. And I would want to structure political systems to do that. Uh, rather than creating a situation where uh, potentially heretics or members of other faiths are able to uh, oppress Christians through the tools that we ourselves have implemented. Mm -hmm. um, I'll, I'll follow up a little bit on that because, Joel, I, I know about, about your book and I know about your position, and there was this whole red state, blue state thing that blew up in the last couple of weeks on Twitter. Well, and then there was actually That was because of my book. Exactly. Well, exactly. And so that was sort of the, yeah. And then, uh, but, but look, let's go with that for a minute. Given that the United States at least is a federal Republic, um, we still have a thing called federalism. Something I've been saying a lot lately is let Florida be Florida and let California be California. Let the contentious issues be decided at the local level. And then let's only have the smallest amount of issues at the federal level possible and that will promote general harmony and this and that and the other and i had someone push back on me and say not a great plan when you know new york or california or whatever pass a law that says you know abortion up to the moment of birth and in some cases a couple hours after in case you don't get around to it you know and then our position in quote unquote red state should just be eh well let california be california is is there some? I mean, should there should there be more action taken? Is it? Do we just shrug and say that's that's just what they're going to do? Uh, well, from what, what standpoint? As a citizen of the United States, or mm -hmm. as a resident so, of Texas? As a resident right, so of that, Texas, my only option at that level is to say, should Texas go to war against California? Right. You know. Right. And so and so, no, I'm not I'm not eager to get into a war. I like the you know Doug Wilson says it like this. You know, and this is getting out of state by state and going back to the federal level. You know, um, he says you know slavery was wrong, mm -hmm. um, but but so was the American Civil War. Um, he said, if you believe that the Civil War was a legitimate action, 650,000 of our sons bled out and died, if you think that that was a legitimate action, uh, then Christians are at, in such a degree of high sinful compromise right now. I don't even know how we can go to church and worship God on the Lord's Day. Uh, we should have taken up arms decades ago mm -hmm. over the issue of abortion. We should be at war, mm -hmm. physical, literal war. Or if you want to be consistent, which I appreciate about Doug Wilson, right? Pedo baptism, pedo communionism. Like he's <laughs> he's he's anything if not consistent. And so, um, what I appreciate is he said, if you want to be consistent, he's saying I hate abortion, 
I believe it will be stamped out. He's post-millennial and believes that that's going to take place and is working in the proper avenues to ensure that that takes place. Uh, but he's saying, yeah, you know, maybe keep your powder dry. But uh, but no, I'm not I'm not uh, taking up arms. Um, mm -hmm. And so in the same way, I also can condemn uh, the civil war. But if you're a, if you're a conservative Christian, evangelical Christian who, you know, because you believe that slavery was wrong, you're pro Lincoln and pro civil war and pro um, then you're actually being inconsistent. Um, you're mm -hmm. you're being a coward. And so so all that being said, um, yeah, I think some things can be done at the federal level. Uh, but I don't think that the solution is just uh, let's take up arms and go to war. Mm -hmm. But you would believe in just war theory yes, and those things. Just war I mean, theory, the, the, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, there the is necessity. a time. War is is legitimate. So I think the war for independence. I don't like calling it the revolutionary war because we're not France, right? It was a <laughs> war for independence, um, and I think it was a legitimate war. And so, yeah, absolutely, there are times where it's you know legitimate uh, to take up arms and fight. And uh, we may get there as a nation. I hope we don't. Mm -hmm. I pray we don't. Um, but absolutely, war is, uh, it is legitimate. And, you know, I believe per Isaiah 65 and other places in Scripture that even before the final physical return of Christ, uh, that the nations will no longer know war. We'll beat our swords into plowshares mm -hmm. and uh, that the gospel will, will prevail and uh, it will affect all of life, including uh, international warfare and civil mm -hmm. war. Mm -hmm. So, Christoph, in scripture, when God, God brings nations against one another, often as an instrument of judgment, we see this in the prophets all the time. Um, yes. Yeah. So uh, let's say there was uh, a nation nearby um, that was uh, practicing the sort, I mean, abortion is obviously an atrocity on a commercial scale that beggars belief, but let's, let's pick a, a more contemporary one, like China's treatment of the Uyghur Muslims, for instance, you know, putting them in concentration camps and all this horrid stuff. Um, would it be, would, and I want to say it this way, would, would God approve or judge a nation that rose up with arms to take down that other nation committing these atrocities? Would he, would that be good or bad? Would God judge it or bless it, him, him doing that? Well, I, I would say God would bless the righteous actions and he would curse the unrighteous actions. So I would say I, I actually disagree with the UN. The UN believes that it's a, a just war to uh, end such things happening in other countries. I actually disagree. I think that... Uh, each uh, sovereign is a sovereign under God, and that therefore it requires an act of aggression of some kind in order to justify a war between states. So in that sense, I do not believe that it is justifiable to initiate such a war. However, I do believe that it is justifiable to uh, end such things if such a war were to be initiated. Now, of course, in the case of the U.S. and China, I think there's plenty of reasons that they can go to war uh, other than that, uh, legitimately anyway. But uh, that's a, a bit of a more foreign policy perspective there. Matthew, can yeah. I say one, one other thing? Go ahead. I'm sorry. Sure. No, please. I, I was go. just going to... Uh, okay. Thanks. I was just going to say what, what you were saying earlier about your abortion example and, you know, like let California be California and, you know, and Florida can be Florida. Um 
I, I, you, you're right to push back. There, there's got to be some pushback on that. Um, so I was just thinking about, you know, Roe being overturned and thinking about Dobbs. Um, mm -hmm. I am grateful that uh, by God's grace that uh, Roe has been overturned. But as a Christian, um, I can't say that Dobbs is a righteous ruling um, mm -hmm. because it's not merely a state's issue. So I think uh, that at the federal level, what the Supreme Court, I'm grateful for what we got, but I think uh, what the Supreme Court should have done is gone even further and said, this is murder and it should mm -hmm. be treated as such. Um, equal protection, equal penalties, mm -hmm. equal dignity, equal value. And so I, I wish that that had been the official ruling of the Supreme Court. And then, of course, individual states could just resist and go against the federal government the same way they did with marijuana. You know what I mean? The same way, like, so I think at the federal level, so, you know, I just want to clarify my position is not just let California be California, let, let, you know, Florida be Florida. No, that's each civil magistrate in his various sphere um, needs to kiss the sun lest he be angry, per, you know, mm -hmm. per Psalm 2. Uh, well, if you're a federal civil magistrate, um, if you're sitting on a federal court or if you're, you know, a federal, you know, part of the, you know, um, executive branch or whatever it may be, um, I think that you have an obligation to to rule righteously according to God's immutable standard at a federal level, um, federally, and so uh, for the for the nation as a whole. And so I I think that uh, what should have been done is uh, so my what I'm saying is my position is not uh, to say um, that there really shouldn't be any federal government whatsoever and just let California do whatever California is going to do. Let I I think that by God's grace, eventually um, I believe that it's possible that we would get to a point where we'd say, wait a second, they're killing babies in California. Mm -hmm. Send in mm -hmm. the national guard. Like, I'm mm -hmm. sorry, like state sovereignty, that's fine. And you can take your little state militia and come up against us, but you're killing babies. And we're mm -hmm. going to involve ourselves. And so, uh, but that would be the way it would go through these proper avenues. It's the, you know, it's the whole doctrine of the lesser civil magistrate, right? Trying to find mm -hmm. someone. To, so Christians, okay, like it may come to something like this, but let's not be vigil annies. Let's not go rogue. Let's see if we can find a proper channel, a proper, you know, a lower level civil. So if I'm going to resist Biden, let, let me see if I can find a good state governor. Let, maybe I mm -hmm. go and, and uh, move to Florida and get, and mm -hmm. stand behind Ron DeSantis. You know, like that. That's mm -hmm. the way. That's the way to do it. So that's that's yeah. my put. So I'm not saying the federal at the federal level that they shouldn't uh -huh. have just laws and say no state, no California. You're wrong. You're wrong. Mm -hmm. This is wicked. So mm -hmm. yeah, I I just like to say because I didn't get to talk about abortion, uh -huh. um, <clears throat> that I have in fact uh, opposed abortion entirely and I, I do believe that it should be banned on the federal level. So when I say that there are some matters uh, which I think are better delegated to lower levels because of potentials for abuse, I don't think that areas like murder, theft, fraud and such things are things that need to be delegated because such things are not only uh, moral but they also are things that are necessary for the uh, stability of the state. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that banning abortion completely is something that uh, is a worthy goal that I think we should all be able to agree on. Yeah. So, so with that in mind, I, I do want to sort of go into the Christian nationalist mindset. So if you say, Christoph, you're, you're, you're not into Christian nationalism, but you do believe that the state should enforce godly rule. Am I right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. So not, not in not in necessarily everywhere. I, I don't think that you should have 
compulsory church attendance or things like that. But that's not godly anyway. But you know, okay. neither do I. Neither do I. Yes, yeah. for the record. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that's what I was going to say. Let, let's let's tick off, if we could, uh, <laughs> just a few things that we would say. This is we're not saying this. Nobody's saying that that there should be compulsory church attendance, and that's not what Christian national Christian nationalists would teach, right? Or or do some believe that? None. Um, so you know, there are guys who are second table of the law only guys, which I you know, it's fine. Uh, but I you know I. I think that you know most Christian nationalists, whether you're coming from the Thomist, you know, so the Thomas Aquinas natural law kind of standpoint, or whether you're coming from the Cornelius Van Til, you know. But but when I tell people I'm presuppositional, and they're like, "What's that?" You know, I basically just <laughs> the short definition is uh, God wrote a book, and we're allowed to use the book. That that's that's what I mean by that. So um, natural law is great. Um, the book talks about it. You know, the, the Romans one is in there. Romans two is in there. Um, but also, I we can just say, "Thus saith the Lord," and, and and read a page out of the Bible, and it's binding on all people in all places and all time because it is the God breathed uh, words of God. So all that being said, most of the Christian nationalists, whether they're coming from the Aquinas perspective or they're or they're coming from the you know Van Til presuppositional perspective, they believe that uh, what it means is that the nation would be explicitly christian in in their in their wording and their documents like like zambia adopting a preamble so i would just for the record i would not advocate for any change to the constitution i would at, uh, argue for um getting back to authorial intent uh for the first amendment in regards to um uh, religious freedom and so i would say okay um yeah sure religious freedom uh and when it comes to worshiping our common lord they, I don't think that they were arguing for um, atheism or polytheism. Um, they were, I think they were arguing about different denominations. Um, so getting back to authorial intent, um, and then I don't think you would even have to amend the First Amendment. I think what you could do is you could adopt, like Zambia, a, a preamble, perhaps, a distinctly Christian triune preamble. I've uh, always publicly advocated for um, a Christian nationalism that would be creedal, not confessional. So it's not Presbyterian nationalism or Baptist nationalism or Anglican nationalism. It's creedal. So I'm thinking, you know, Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, Athanasius' Creed. That's what we spell out in um, the Statement on Christian Nationalism in the Gospel. And then we add, because we do believe it's a pan-Protestant project, that, and, and part of that because we believe that, that that is the heart of the gospel, the five solas, but also because that is America's unique founding. America is, uh, does not have a Catholic founding, whereas you could argue something like that for France you know, or uh, um, other European nations. But America is distinctly not only Christian, but Protestant Christian. And so uh, we would have it be creedal, not confessional, then added to these creeds. Uh, we would add the five solas, uh, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, according to the scripture alone, to the glory of God alone, um, adopt a distinctly pan-Protestant creedal and sola um, uh, introduction or preamble to the Constitution. And then, and then in terms of laws, I would hold to uh, the second table, that's commandments 5 through 10, our love for neighbor, but also the first table. Now, that being said, if you look back and you read old protestant guys you read the reformers you read calvin you read um all these guys a lot a lot of what they would say is uh that no one has the authority to uh to command a day of worship except for the lord jesus christ but the civil magistrate can command um, a day of rest so there's a difference for instance what i'm saying is there's a difference in saying uh, we have a law that businesses will not operate on the lord's day that's very different than we have a law that, uh, that each man, woman, and child must be in church on the Lord's Day. And 
Um, and we have election goggles, and we're going to make sure that you're worshiping through faith and that it's not just outward mannerisms. But no, that's that's not a thing. But Sabbath laws, like that's the thing. Christian nationalism is so extreme. You're talking about, we're not talking about some hypothetical uh, utopian society that, that that's never happened. We're talking about something that's happened before, happened recently before, and happened here recently before and and i think there were a lot of good things were there bugs yes sirree that's why you know i'm having a conference coming up next year christendom 2.0 there's some bugs with 1.0 but i don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. i think that there's a lot of good and so yes the first four commandments sabbath laws also blasphemy laws that it's again it, this would be the you know the theonomic you know rush dooney kind of sentiment is it's not whether but which there's always going to be a reigning orthodoxy there are always are going to be certain priests and priestess in, in congruence with that orthodoxy, um, there's going to be sacraments, right? You're going to have certain sac. Wear the mask, get the jab, um, you know. And and then outside of that, there's going to be wrong speech, wrong think. There's going to be things that you're not allowed to say, blasphemy. And so, I mean, right now you have certain cases. We'll see what happens, but uh, where where people are trying to actually um, penalize under a court of law uh, people for for uh, desecrating a rainbow flag. Right. Because that's the new orthodoxy. So what I'm saying is, well, wh why don't you know, it's not whether but which there's going to be certain penalties one way or the other. I'd like the penalties to be in the right direction. I'd like them to be in the right direction. So I would like to say that the um, the sisters of perpetual indulgence, um, you know, uh, at the Dodgers, say, I would like to I would like to nation a nation where they're rounded up and arrested for having someone dress up like Jesus tied to a cross and then have a nun you know, drag queen, somebody shaking around on the son of God or the image of this. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I'm fine with that person going to jail. Now, that's different sins and crimes. There's a distinction. Uh, one of the distinctions, there are multiple, but one of the pr primary distinctions is the difference between private and public. So we're not talking about police going and rounding up people of a different religion, let's say Islam, in their private homes for worship. But there's a difference between that and, and Islamic prayer calls citywide in an American city five times a day. There's also a difference between going and rounding up somebody for homosexuality privately in a home versus naked men riding bicycles down the street in New York when there are children on, on the sidewalks watching the whole thing go down. So, all right, I'm going to arrest this guy. But we're not, that's the thing that people forget is, you know, I'm, so I'm a theonomist. So my Christian nationalism, the version that I'm advocating for would actually have, it would be in many ways, a theocratic libertarianism. It would be smaller government, less police, believe it or not. But when laws are broken, there's actually penalties uh, when justice is delayed right? If it's not swift, then the people rebel. So there would be swift justice for the right things and the right measure, the right degree. And the last thing I'll say is in terms of, well, homosexuality, the Bible talks about, you know, that if a man lies with another man, he should be put to death. Um, I would hold like Joe Boot and other theon uh, theonomists that uh, the only uh, command that must, it must inflict capital punishment per the Noahic covenant would be murder, life for life, tooth for tooth. Biblical justice is swift, but it's also proportional. It's impartial, it's blind, but it's also proportional. And so that being said, there are certain things. It was not unjust if Israel did these things. God is saying this is just. It is just that if you commit the act of homosexuality uh, to be put to death is a just penalty. But I would view those in line with other the, uh, theonomic guys as a maximal penalty. 
So it must, capital punishment must be the penalty for murder, uh, but it would be a maximum penalty in other instances. So I, you know, I said, when Uganda passed its laws, I said, hashtag Uganda forever, black laws matter, right? Black laws matter. Quit being racist, all you Americans. And so like what I was saying is if you look at the, at the laws and you read them, aggravated homosexuality it's not just oh we you know we went into someone's private residence and round up two you know two sodomites and we're, we're going to put them to death no this is for rape of 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 minors or, or or the elderly and it would also be repeat offenders that escalate and get more and more public and and unashamed um it would be those kinds of instances that um that they've been penalized maybe it's a fine maybe it's this maybe it's that uh, eventually escalates because there's no regard for the culture no regard for the public the well-being of the body politic as a whole uh, there's there's just brazen rebellion repeated multiple times or it's actually um um in the uh, it's actually reached the level of rape you're actually forcing your will on somebody else and at that point the person is put to death i think that that's actually a really great render on Uganda's part of of the theonomic position of, of this Old Testament case law in Israel and saying this is the maximum penalty and it is just. Uh, but there also can be lower penalties before we get there along the way. It's not whether but which. We've had uh, we've had uh, blasphemy laws on the books. We've had uh, Sabbath laws on the books. And we've had sodomy laws on the books. So we're not advocating for something crazy. We're advocating for something that has been done, recently done, and recently done here. It's interesting to think about uh, when I grew up, uh, the, the road that went to my house was right on the border of two counties, and there was a little liquor store that sat right there. And the reason why that liquor store was there on the border of the two counties is the one county was a, uh, would, would not allow drinking on Sunday. But right. the other county would. So on Sunday, there was a line of cars that surrounded this little liquor store where people were driving over from Duval County into Nassau County just to just to line up around the liquor store and take home, take back right. to Duval County. They're illegally, uh, well, not right. illegally purchased. They purchased it legally, but their right. their uh, their liquor uh, that they couldn't have on uh, on Sunday. So and that was a Sabbath uh, law. Yeah, you're right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I've I've got a question. I think might might be answered differently by you two gentlemen that I wanted to pose to you. Um, this comes from the state constitution of the great state of North Carolina, and it's in article six, section eight. It refers to the section is entitled disqualifications for office. So this would be any elected or appointed. So judges or state representatives, whatever for the state of North Carolina, this is their constitution um, as adopted disqualifications for office. The following persons shall be disqualified for office. First, any person who shall deny the being of Almighty God. Amen. Now, there's some other ones in there about. <laughs> there's some other ones in there about have they committed treason, felony, breach of the peace, things like that. But the first one they put there was anyone who shall deny the being of capital A, capital G, Almighty God. Yeah. Now. I'm going to ask a slightly different question to the two of you because I think it'll be important in figuring out the position. Um, Christoph, so this was the, this was the, the highest authority, the highest um, uh, uh, legal authority for the state of North Carolina, adopted by their people, passed by their elected legislature, and signed by their ruler, the governor. Is that, does that therefore 
even if we bring popular sovereignty out of it, the governor signed it. The ruler of the state signed it. Is does that does that make it legitimate? And if so, yes. is it a good thing that it's there? And is it in, and should it be enforceable? Never mind. I know it would never work today because of Fourteenth Amendment incorporation doctrine. But we're not going to go there for the minute. But was it was it good and legitimate? And should it be enforced? Um, I, I think it is legitimate, and mm -hmm. as long as it is on the books, it is something that uh, ought to be enforced. Mm -hmm. uh, my only disagreement on it would be perhaps uh, whether it is 100% practicable, because as I said before, I'm not always sure how many Christians there will be in each generation. And mm -hmm. of course, even if we do have Christians in a particular generation, um, not all offices of politics are equal. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that in, in my preference, I would say, uh, obviously, we want people to have at least common grace virtues, but we mm -hmm. also want them to be competent at uh, their jobs. Now, I, okay. I have a perhaps a, a somewhat greater faith in, in common grace than some other people do. Um, but uh, I, I do think that virtue is necessarily central and mm -hmm. that uh, on who you consider to be your leader, virtue uh, should be uh, a central decision-making factor, of course. Okay. And so, Joel, I heard you were amening earlier, so I'll just go ahead and take that as part of your answer. But you would this would be a good thing, you think, in all 50 state constitutions down to the local level and at a federal level, if it could be passed, you would be 100% in favor of that. Yeah. Politicians, okay. those who are rulers, civil rulers, should be moral. And there mm -hmm. is no morality outside... I mean, the Bible says that the fool says in his heart, there is no God, right? Mm -hmm. April's Fool's Day, we celebrate National Atheist Day, you know, April 1st every year. And yeah. James Lindsay, you know, he gets his day. And, and but yeah, I don't, I don't want uh, somebody who thinks that we came. I, I don't know if you saw the video recently. He's been on Twitter where it's like there's a dog and it turns into a whale. And it's like, no, I don't mm -hmm. want that person deciding what's moral for me and my children and my grandchildren. Um, so yes, I I know that Christians are sinners. I'm I'm one, uh, but yeah, I would like at least as a basis, as a starting point, I would like somebody who says there's a God in heaven. He made heaven and earth. Uh, he mm -hmm. wrote a book, and he decides what morality is. I feel like that should just be the basic starting point <laughs> when considering mm -hmm. whether or not somebody should rule over me. Mm -hmm. Okay, and that and, and and so that would herein might lie might might raise a, a bigger distinction between you two guys. And that is the distinction of what, what standards should there be for leaders? You know, we just said the capital A, capital G, Almighty God is the is is a minimum standard, even though we know that many of our elected officials currently would not meet that standard. Uh, you know, hashtag Bernie Sanders and guys like that who who would say, well, I don't know if he's an atheist, but I know that he is an ungodly man. Um, well, yeah. and, and 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 I remember him saying specifically to a man on the on that he was that he was questioning, we do not have a religious standard in this country or a religious test that someone has to pass to serve. I remember him saying that to a, a gentleman who had written a book of, of some sort. I don't know. I had to go back to the to the actual context mm -hmm. of that. But the point is, what what is the? Do you think that is the minimum standard? They have to believe in God, or do you think that they should have to be Christians to serve? And uh, I think I know 
Christoph's answer. I think he would say no, but uh, I do want to hear both. I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I'm just assuming. Uh, should a person have to be a Christian to uh, to serve in the government? Christoph, I'll let you first. Okay. Since I, I said I put okay. the words in your mouth, so I didn't mean to. Okay, so I, I would say that, uh, in, in my opinion, the answer is no. And, and one of the reasons for this is that we can't always assume that there will be a, a Christian majority. And in fact, in many countries in history, there has not been. Uh, also, another problem is that uh, if we just have a simple test like that, then people will just simply either study for the test or they'll lie or something like that. So I don't really think it guarantees what we're trying to guarantee. Um, I also think that uh, competence on politics uh, in, in many cases may be independent in some areas. That's not to say that people are intrinsically could be more righteous than Christians, because, of course, Christians have the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, however, when we are talking about uh, people who are not Christians, they still have the uh, the, the moral law that is uh, written on their hearts, uh, the uh, what, what we might call the natural law or common grace. And by that measure, we can say that although we can't expect them to be moral in as many areas or to be actually truly righteous, uh, that does not mean that they will be incompetent uh, as politicians. And that's why throughout history, uh, you see people like John Calvin cites a lot of uh, ancient Roman philosophers. He cites Cicero, he cites Seneca and people like that, because although they are not faithful men, their opinions are still useful uh, despite the fact that they are faithless. Amen. Okay. All right. So Joel, uh, uh, your thoughts on that same question. Yep. What do you think is the minimum and, and, and should a person have to be a Christian? Again, I don't know your thoughts. So I'm really curious to hear your thought on that. Yeah. Um, well, I think all this is, it's going to take time. You know, it's not going to be accomplished um, overnight. And so, um, I think right now, unfortunately, a lot of what we're dealing with is trying to um, to choose between the lesser of two evils, and so um, yeah, I think it's going to take time, but um, but eventually, yeah, I I think that um, I think that that would be perfectly permissible, and that's not to throw out history. So I I agree with you, Christoph. Um, you know, Bab Babylon, uh, do you burn the libraries or do you plunder them? Um, I would plunder them. So I, I'm an advocate of common grace. Um, I, I'm a fan of classical Christian, classical education where you're going to be reading Beowulf and you're going to re be reading Homer, you know, and th these kinds of things. And so, um, I'm a fan. I think that, uh, all truth is God's truth and, uh, and God has used, uh, pagans in his common grace to do wonderful things. Um, but as we're trying to orient as a nation, uh, towards God's law, God's will, um, I think that that would be perfectly permissible and not even just permissible, but I think it would be ideal. I think it would be um, honoring to the Lord and a blessing to the people. And the one thing that I would think of now, you know, because I've kind of cited things from the past, um, not just things that um, I would like to see in an ideal utopian future, but things that, that are realistic that we've even done before here. Um, I just, I think of, you know, certain elected officials being sworn in um, using the Bible, you know, and uh, 
I think that even that is at a national level. It's this acknowledgement. Now, I know it's come year by year as we've gravitated away from the Christian faith. It's come to mean less and less. Um, but th there's a reason why even Joe Biden. So do I think Joe Biden's regenerate? No, 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 no. Uh, that dude's going to hell. Um, and I hope God saves him. I hope he doesn't. You know, I hope he repents. But but right now, and goodness gracious, he could die at any second. I mean, he's really playing with fire. Like to be on God's doorstep, so close to death, you can taste it, you know, and then at the same time to be so rebellious. Like, yeah, we need some Christian nationalists or whatever you want to call them to, to tell that guy to repent for just for his own eternal sake. And so all that being said, um, my point is, even with Joe Biden is, is rebellious and, and uh, just God-hating as that man is, uh, there's a reason he keeps trying to hold on to his Roman Catholic card and Nancy Pelosi and, you know, and then Trump on the other side of the aisle, you know, now, I mean, like, so you can, you know, you got the, well, I'm a Christian and I'm for abortion. And then you got Trump, I'm a Christian and Paula White's my, you know, my advisor. And, and so I'm not <laughs> saying that, you know, that Trump can't mess up too. And for the record, I am grateful for Trump. That, that guy appointed three Supreme Court justices. Um, I think that we can give honor where honor is due. And then we can also say, yeah, and I don't know. He's not my favorite. Uh, but all that being said, here's the deal. Um, Trump, Biden, like you go down the line. I mean, that was a big issue with Obama. When you know, I remember in the news, people were like, oh, I think he's Muslim. You know, and like, does he have a birth certificate? Like the American public, even non-Christians, non-regenerate people still have like this sentiment. It's waning, but this general sentiment of, um, I want my president to be American by birth, and I'd like him to go to church. I'd like him to be a Christian, because that's American. That's American. And, um, and so my point is, whether it's on the books or not, that has been the history of this country until very, very recently. Um, and even now, as godless as we are, as rebellious as we are, there's still it's still pretty dang hard to win an election. At, we've never had a, a, an atheist for a president. I don't think an atheist, even now in 2024 coming up, I don't think an atheist could win. I think the general public, even in 2024 with drag queen story hour, and I think the general public as a whole would say, uh-uh, no, no, we're not voting for an atheist. And I think that's a good thing. So sure, I think we already do it. That's what I'm arguing is I think there's already just a general underlining sentiment of, of a majority of the population. Uh, it's been on the books before, as Matthew pointed out. Let's get it back on the books again. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, we have uh, we've passed a little while ago. We passed the 90 minute mark, and I know that you have donated your time today, and I appreciate it, but I don't want to keep you forever. So I do want to begin to draw to a close. And so I'd like to just give uh, I'm going to since I let you go first at the beginning, Joel, I'm going to let Christoph go first here at the end. If you were speaking to a group of people, you are speaking to a group of people, you're going to speak to, uh, you know, the 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 um the the audience of conversations with a Calvinist, which is uh, not not <laughs> they're growing, but they're not <laughs> not huge but growing. You're gonna speak to our audience. Um, tell us uh, just your, your final thoughts on this issue. Encourage people if they want to get your book, how to get it, and uh, and 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 bring your thoughts to a close on this issue. I'm gonna give you as much time as you'd like. Yes. Yeah, so anyway, I'm I'm very happy to be here. I'm, I'm very glad to have had this conversation, to have had this opportunity to talk about uh, this issue. And I think that uh, if you are 
looking into Christian nationalism. I think it's always good to look at the different sides of the issue, read what people are saying, uh, and of course, compare that carefully to what is written in scripture. So uh, both I and Reverend Webin have uh, supported our own uh, documents, he with his statement on Christian uh, nationalism, and I with my book, Why Christians Should Oppose Christian Nationalism, which is available on Amazon Kindle. And in doing so, uh, we have also included uh, various verses and scripture passages that we believe support our position. So I uh, encourage you to carefully uh, look at both works and to compare and contrast and see how you fall on this issue. And another thing I would say that regardless of how you turn out here, I think one thing that we should all emphasize is that regardless of how we uh, would see non-Christians in our society, we as Christians should come together in mutual love for each other and for Christ, as that is really what it all is about. Uh, Jesus Christ, and how do you best honor him uh, in your life, in politics, in the church, and in every other area, because he is Lord over all things. Amen. Thank you. And uh, I didn't mean to leave you out of that last conversation, Matthew. Uh, uh, I do want to tell you how much I appreciate you being here as well. Sure. And if you if you have any final thoughts, you can be getting ready. I'll let you uh, maybe close us out if you have anything sure. you want to add uh, after we uh, after we give Joel his time here. Sure. So right. to, just to the listener, um, something that occurs to me is this, this may have gotten a little bit philosophical and esoteric, and we're really trying to tease out the meaning of words, which I think is a way to do honor to both of these men's positions to not try and talk past. So I hope that that was edifying to you. Um, I was reminded of a, um, I was reminded of this clip I saw. It was Congressman Greg Stubbe from Florida was speaking in Congress. They were debating the boy, the Stasi would have a, a real go with this one, the Equality Act, um, which would have uh, enshrined all sorts of same-sex protections into the Civil Rights Act and completely destroyed religious liberty in a lot of serious ways. And and Greg Stubbe didn't kind of beat around the bush or whatever. The dude straight up starts reading Genesis 2 from the floor of Congress, starts saying, this is how God made man and woman. He repeatedly judges it. We as creatures are in no position to be trying to counteract what God has done. I mean, something that would not have been out of place from a pulpit, and appropriately so. Mm. And when he was done, um, the presiding Democrat at the time, Jerry Nadler from New York, almost runs up to the podium, or to, to the lectern to speak, and he says, Congressman Stubbe, what any religious view has on what God says is of no concern to this house. Mm. And then he continues about his, his business. That's a and Democrat that, right for there. me... I'm sorry? That's a Democrat right there. Well, that that to me, <laughs> a year or two ago, when that happened, maybe it was 12, 18 months ago, I said, okay, I don't know if I would call myself a Christian nationalist. I don't know what Christian nationalism really is. I've been a bit ostrich in the sand on this issue, but that's not good. And I'm pretty sure God promises to judge that. Mm -hmm. So maybe we shouldn't do that. So um, I say that to say this may sound a bit esoteric, <clears throat> but it is very much a live issue that either has affected you or will very soon. And so I would just encourage you to, to open your Bibles and appropriately open your minds to good sources on this and, and establish a position on it because mm -hmm. it's coming and it is already here in many ways. Yep. Amen.
Amen. Thank you. Well, Joel, as I said, I wanted to uh, give you the same opportunity that I gave to Christoph in uh, sort of closing out your position and and encouraging people to uh, whatever resources you might have available, including your upcoming conference, uh, which uh, which seems like it's going to be a blast. You got you and Doug Wilson and uh, and a bunch of other guys. So tell us tell us your uh, your final thoughts. Thanks, Keith. I uh, appreciate you having me on. Um, yeah, I think my final thought would simply be this. If I was a betting man, which I'm not, but if I were, I think in 10 years, maybe even just five, but for sure 10 years, I think we'll look back on the Christian nationalism, controversy, excitement, parade, and we'll say, nobody's really calling themselves a Christian nationalist. It, 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 uh, it pittered out. Um, I think the label is probably not going to stick. I'm just being real honest here at the end. Not everybody will like that I'm saying this on my on my team. I don't know if the label will stick, um, but I think the doctrine will. I think that in God's providence, he's used these last few years of clown world. And we've been slowly, like the frog, slowly boiling in the hot pot of water gradually, but it really was a mercy, right? Because if you turn it up slow, the heat, the frog just sits there and gets boiled alive. It never really notices the spike in temperature because it's so gradual. In God's mercy, and I think mercy is the proper word, he just spiked the temperature these last few years. And a lot of people woke up and a lot of Christians woke up and we started thinking, wait a second, like, is Jesus, you know, is it a privatized lordship of Christ? You know, is he Lord of my heart only, or is he Lord of all? And if so, what does that mean? And, um, and I think people just started having some good conversations, started thinking some good thoughts, and started reading some theologians that are um, dead. I really like dead theologians. They don't disappoint. Um, dead people, you know, the verdict's out. They're not going to go woke two years later, and you regret that they endorsed your book, you know, and now the name's there forever. Dead dead guys are, are good like that. They don't disappoint. But also, um, they, you know... <laughs> I think there's a lot of really, really novel, unique post-war sentiment, kind of boomer theology, I call it, uh, that, that just, it, it, it got forged in a very particular, very unique time and very unique place where, where certain things were just taken for granted. But you look at the swath of church history, you look at older writings, and they talk about things like the Christian prince. And for me, you know, because I'm an American, I would like a bunch of little Christian princes, you know, and not, not necessarily uh, one Christian prince. But man, I, I think there's something to that. So my prediction is I think the, the label Christian nationalism will fade away. And maybe nationalism isn't the best, you know, the best label to have. Uh, I think the only thing that, that we're trying to do with that is we're just trying to say we're not tribalist and we're not globalist, right? But I understand there's some baggage there. And so I think it may get better, but I think, you know, just the left is, you know, well, you're racist, you're this, you're that. And, and then eventually, the, well, you're a Christian nationalist. And with that one, a few of us, we just stopped for a second. We said, all right, that's it. You call me a racist. And I'm going to disagree because I'm not. I'm not. But you call me a Christian nationalist. Well, what do you mean by that? And then they start saying, well, you think nations should be Christian and they should have Christian laws. And I'm like, wait a second. Yeah, I do believe that. I'll dig my heels down on that one. I'll double down on that. So all that being said, if 10 years from now, Christian nationalism, there's no 
Christian nationalist hashtag anymore. There's no Christian nationalist statement. There's nobody's using that term. Uh, I will not be disappointed, nor would I even be surprised. But I guarantee you, because God is so merciful and so kind, um, I don't think for a very long time that anyone will think in terms of the actual doctrine, the actual theology, what just about all of us were thinking just five or ten years ago. It was not that long ago that we just kind of had this, this naive theology. But now we, we, we have a much bigger, broader view of Christ's lordship, and you can call it what you want to call it. Uh, but I think that a big view of Christ's lordship, even over the civil magistrate, that's here to stay. And, and you're going to have to reconcile with that. Well, I want to thank all of you brothers for uh, for being on the show today and and for sharing your your thoughts and your ideas and where we disagreed and where we agreed. And uh, Matthew, thank you for being my co-host. I appreciate our friendship and your continued support of the program. Joel, the one thing I did want to uh, mention your your conference. When is it? And oh, and, yeah. and what's uh, yeah. Thank you, Keith. It's uh, March 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, 2024, the year of our Lord. Um, March 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. It's going to be in Taylor, Texas. It's Williams, Williamson County. The church I pastor is in Georgetown. Taylor's a, a neighboring town. Uh, Doug Wilson is going to be there. Uh, we've got the, uh, the the Ogden, Utah guys. Um, I really appreciate them. That's Brian Sauvey. A lot of guys know him for, for his psalm singing. Um, and Eric Kahn is going to be there. And also Ben Garrett. He's, he does the Haunted Cosmos podcast. And uh, we're still working with speakers and, and, you know, trying to get a couple more and stuff. But uh, Joe Boot's going to be there. So we're excited about that. Uh, March 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. That's a Friday, Saturday. And Holdover, one of the speakers will stay and preach um, at our church that Lord's Day. And uh, we've got a venue that can seat a thousand. We had James White this year back in, in May and Joe Boot and, and Dale Partridge and myself. And we had about 550 people that came out. And so we're hoping, uh, Lord willing, to double that. Our venue seats about a thousand. And you can register by just going to rightresponseconference.com, rightresponseconference.com. And it's going to be the stuff that we were talking about today on your show, Keith. It's just, we're going to talk about theonomy. We're going to talk about postmillennialism. We're going to talk about Kuyperianism uh, that, that uh, Christoph was talking, you know, Abraham Kuyper's fear sovereignty and this all of Christ for all of life sentiment. And uh, I think it'll be a really good time. Not everybody will agree or have the same eschatology, but I think everybody will get a lot out of it if they come. Excellent. Excellent. Well, gentlemen, again, thank you all. I'm going to close us out here unless anyone has anything to add. I don't want to leave anybody hanging. No, I, I'd just like to say thank, thank you very much. Uh, I think uh, it's good that we all have a good respect for each other and, and that we were able to have a friendly conversation. Yes, I Amen. agree. Amen. Amen. And again, I want to thank you all for being a part of Conversations with the Calvinists and listening to today's conversation. I want to encourage you. I'm sure that there were things that were said today that you may agree or disagree with. Just remember, we have comments below on our YouTube page, and I encourage you to leave comments. I go back, I read them, and I often respond. And if you have something that you would like to point towards one of these men, I'm happy to do that. Just leave a comment below, and, I, and I'll try to point that, uh, point that question to them. And again, uh, keep in mind that there are books available on this. There are documents that have been written. And as Matthew said, uh, 
educate yourself. I know I'm going to continue to try to grow in my education so that I can better understand and articulate the views on this and uh, better form my own according to the Word of God. I want to remind you again that we have a podcast that comes out every week, and you can find us at calvinistpodcast.com. You can send me questions if you have a subject that you'd like for me to address at calvinistpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow me at Your Calvinist on Twitter. And don't forget, along with the podcast, we also have a weekly news program called Church Soup, as well as funny videos that come out all the time. So if you find us on YouTube, please remember to subscribe and like and know that you'll be getting good Christian content uh, for as long as God allows me to continue to do this. So thank you again for being a part of Conversations with a Calvinist. I've been Keith Foskey, and I've been your Calvinist. May God bless you.